home. I'm really struggling with counting this morning. Cameron said, hey, we got uh, 15 seconds. I was like, to the welcome video, right? And he was like, no, like literally you have 15 seconds. So normally I would have ran, but it's Shabbat, and so I walked a Sabbath day journey. So good morning to all of you. It's always nice to see the uh, the 10% who actually show up on time and the other 80% who show up during the middle of worship. So uh, welcome. That's not passive-aggressive. It's full passive-aggressive. Um, today we got an awesome service for you. Uh, Dr. Deb Wiley is going to be doing When Love is a Test. I failed a test really bad in school, so hopefully I'm not going to fail at the love test. But my wife isn't here today, so I'm not going to be judged. So that's good for me. Next week, the marriage seminar is with uh, Ed and Hava Harris. Part one will be here during our normal service time. Uh, we won't have a first five or a main message. The seminar will be that. And then we will be uh, heading over to Bed Me for those who want the second part of the marriage seminar uh, at 3 p.m. So it's a two-part seminar here in the local area. HFF is hosting the first part and Bed Me is hosting the second part. So that will be exciting. Uh, ladies, movie day. Uh, Instant Family, I guess, is the name of the movie, uh, which is Sunday, November 18th. Um, more information is in here. I'm not supposed to give that out, apparently. Uh, Hanukkah Conference, December 7th through the 9th. Uh, we are filling out pretty quickly in here. So there's only 300 seats that we have. It will be during our normal HFF service. So you must register. If you're not registered, we probably are not going to have space. Last year we sold out. We have full anticipation of selling out again this year. Uh, men's prayer breakfast on the 11th. And tomorrow at the Frickers house is the ladies' prayer gathering at 10 a.m. Uh, and the youth are now meeting here on Thursday evenings at 6.30. Um, real quick, you had a fantastic week last week in Dallas. Uh, had over 100 people at the uh, the launch service uh, with Ed Harris and his crew. If you guys would, keep that in your prayers. Um, it's, uh, it's it's exciting to have another, another group of people to be working with, and it was an exciting Shabbat. Long Shabbat as uh, we got up and did service here and then drove to Dallas and got home that later that evening, but uh, it was very fruitful. 70% uh, of the people who showed up had never been to a, a gathering with Ed or the previous congregation that was there, so it was very exciting to see a bunch of new people come into that, and so uh, over, the, over the next quarter, uh, quarter or two, we're going to try to get together and do some more joint stuff with HFF DFW. And so keep that in your prayers. I know Ephraim and Daniel are going to be heading down there. Uh, Deb's going to be teaching down there as well. So we got a lot of, lot of cool things going on there. So, all right, well, let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's greet one another and let's get ready to start the, uh, the morning off with praise and worship. Boring and the 
Thank you for this wonderful Sabbath, Father, for the opportunity to come together with one another, to lift your name high, Father, to praise you, to study your word, for there is none like you in all the earth. As for me, There is. 
set apart time on this set apart day father we come to you we lift our hands we lift our voices and we proclaim how great you are father as we head towards the end of another year father in between the set of the biblical feast father father would you work on our hearts work on our minds Would we draw closer to you? Father, as the temperatures change, Father, give us opportunities to be your hands and feet in this community. Father, we, we pray that you would put someone in need in our way. That we would see them, that we would stop and we would help them, Father. That we would be the light to them that Yeshua has been to us. For, Lord, you have blessed us beyond belief. And we praise you for all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do. For it's in the name of Yeshua we humbly come before you. Amen. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. This is a voice crying out in the wilderness trying to figure out where it was coming from, weren't you? <laughs> Uh, been a great morning, has it not? How great God is. You just stop and we're to do nothing else but spend an hour thinking about how great he is. Can you, you know, that would change our lives, would it not? All right. Well, I have a few prayer requests to go over with you and then that way you have, we can all pray together for them. Uh, Virginia's sister Estelle. She was here several months ago for her visit. <clears throat> She's back in Florida, and uh, her kidneys are not working properly. 
And so they have been having to go in and take fluid out of her because her kidneys are not working properly. And then they have also found a mass that's somewhere that's in her abdomen. And uh, they haven't figured out whether it's uh, cancerous or not. So she's going to go in and have some tests done in the next week or so. So we need to be praying for Estelle and for the doctors and for God's hand upon her and for wisdom in knowing what to do. Uh, they're going to give her some chemo and then go in and do some surgery and then do some more chemo at this point. And if you know anything about chemo, it's not very nice. So we want to really we want to pray that they won't have to do that. That they can, that God will take care of the situation, and she won't have to go through that. All right. And then we need to continue to pray for Anne, Quentin's sister-in-law. The doctors have basically decided that there's nothing else they can do for her. They've sent her home, and so it's totally. I mean, it's always been up to God, but I mean, it is really totally up to God at this point now. There's nothing that the doctors are giving her. And so we just need to pray for Ann, uh, for a peace in her heart, and, uh, and just for a complete knowledge and tr- that the God is in control of her situation and that uh, whatever happens, that uh, it's for the best. So we remember to pray for Ann. And there's still a lot of people that are sick, so we need to be praying for them. Uh, it seems to be going, still going around, and uh, whatever it is, cold, the flu, whatever, throwing up, all those kinds of good, fun things that, you know, that come with that. So we just need to be praying for a lot of people that are still sick. So let me turn this over to you, and then I'll close our prayer time in a few minutes.
Father, we thank you that we can come before your throne. We can come before your throne boldly and bring before you those things that you have put, placed on our hearts. And we thank you that you always answer every prayer. may not be the answer we're looking for, but thank you, Father, that you always answer. I want to especially pray this morning, Father, for our nation and ask that you would do whatever it takes to bring healing to this nation. Pray for those who have so much hatred in their hearts. That you would touch their lives and change that hatred to love. Pray for this coming election. And, <clears throat> and as always, we look to you. We acknowledge that you're the one who places rulers in place. And no one rules without your approval or your allowing them to be there. So we commit that this election to you, Father. We thank you that your will will be accomplished. We commit this rest of the service to you this morning. Pray especially for Deb as she comes and brings a message from past experience. I know that this will be a message that is truly from you. Thank you for the message that you've given her. May it touch each of our lives. So again, we give this morning to you. Thank you for this Shabbat that we can come and rest and worship you together. And we thank you in Yeshua's precious name. Amen. If I can have all the children come up so we can bless the children. Yes, for all the children. Why is everyone still sitting out there? <laughs> We're all children of God, right? Let's pray for these little ones here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great goodness. We thank you for being a loving Father to us. We thank you for caring for our needs, for fashioning us in our mother's wombs, for knowing about us before we were ever thought of by our earthly fathers. Thank you for that intimate relationship that you have with us as a father. And that we can come to you and that we can pour out our heart to you. That we can approach you. And that you will listen. 
Father, we pray that your hand would be upon these young ones here. May their steps never waver from your paths. May they always seek the way of righteousness. May they pursue your ways of holiness all the days of their lives. May the young men be fruitful. May they be blessed in everything they do in their coming in and going out. May they be known for their fruitfulness that they bear for your kingdom. May they do wonderful, awesome things in your name that would bring you glory and honor. We pray for the young ladies that they would uh, receive a heritage that would be told of generations from now. That they would uh, stay steadfast in their faith to you. That they would bring forth a bounty of harvest into your kingdom. Father, we ask that your hand would be upon these little ones. May they walk in your ways. May they honor you. And may we be inspired as they do so. We thank you, Father. It's in the name of your Son, Yeshua, that we pray these things. Amen. Children are dismissed to their class. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Anybody know this week's Torah portion? This week's Torah portion is called Va'era. Begins in Genesis chapter 18, and it is means, and he appeared. And this is the time in which God appeared to Abraham in the form of three persons. And when he appeared to Abraham, Abraham was sitting in the doorway of his tent, in the heat of the day, trying to relax, trying to stay as comfortable as possible. Uh, that was because he had just fulfilled the commandment that God had given to him one chapter earlier and commanded him that he would be circumcised. And at 99 years old, Abraham circumcised himself. And then he sat recovering. The rabbis think that the next story happened about three days later. So God appears to Abraham and he one way to look at it is that Abraham, God was going to his friend to see how he was doing. So he shows up to Abraham, and what does he find? He finds a man. Though he be sitting in the doorway of his tent, he immediately hopped to to go and greet his friend. Not only that, he extended hospitality to the Lord and said, Rest your feet. I'll bring some water. Wash your feet. Let me bring a morsel of food, some, some bread, and the Lord said, that sounds good. So Abraham went and he ran to the tent and he ran to make sure that his wife was starting to make some cakes and ran to the herd to get a calf and he served lunch to the Lord. And so what the Lord found when he came to his friend might have been just there to check and see how he was doing. What he found was a friend that was full of hospitality and joy coming to be hospitable to him. Let me ask you a question. What if Abraham had delayed to fulfill the commandment of circumcision? The Lord told him in the previous chapter and says, this is what you're going to do. You're to do this, take this knife, this is going to be a sign in your flesh of the covenant with you. And if Abraham had hesitated and said, hmm, I don't know about that, then the conversation three days later, if the Lord appears to him, that conversation might have been a little different as to why Abraham hadn't fulfilled the commandment. All of us that have children, we kind of have a little way of saying this one little thing. Whenever we ask our children to do something, 
And they, if they delay to do it, if they drag their feet, if they don't hop to right away, I know the Mustin household, they have slow obedience is disobedience, is what I've heard Daniel say to his children. In my household, we have a little catchy little phrase where we say, I obey, and then the kids follow and say, right away. So that when they ask them to obey something, they hop to, and they do it, and they don't delay to do it. We learned that our father Abraham, he had good faith, that when told and asked to do something, he hopped to, and he did it. He followed, and he obeyed the word of the Lord. Even as strange as that commandment might have been, Abraham still believed and acted upon the command that was given to him. So he did that at the beginning of our Torah portion. He also did that again at the end of our Torah portion, where we have the story of the binding of Isaac. The rabbis call it the Akidah, which is the binding of Isaac, where he, God calls to Abraham and says, take your son, your only son. This is the promised son of the covenant, of the promise, and tells him to go, take him, take wood, go to this mountain that I will show you, and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering to me. Abraham, once again, did not delay to obey the Lord. He loaded up his donkey, took two servants with him, took the lad, took Isaac, his son, and went, and immediately went to go do it because of the faith that Abraham had. Do you realize this, that that happened, as far as we can tell, if you do the chronology study, Isaac was approximately in his 30s when that took place. So he... So if you rewind back 30-some years, that's when he had the the circumcision. Then Isaac was born. There was rejoicing. All that took place. And 30-some years later, God still calls to Abraham and asks him to test his faith once again. Abraham, hasn't he already proven that he will obey when God asks him to do something? For him to pick up his family and to leave his father's house and to go into the strange land, the land of Canaan, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12? And through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He did that, then had to wait 25 years before his son would be born. Then another 30 years later, God tests him again. Wouldn't Abraham had turned back and said, Lord, I've already been circumcised 30 years later. Why are you asking me to do this again? That's what, that's kind of more of a human reaction. That's kind of what maybe some of us might say if we ever get tested again. I mean, haven't, isn't that a big enough test? But no, Abraham still, his faith, so strong, so powerful, he went and did what God commanded him to do because he had all faith in the Lord for that long, for that period of time. Over 50 years of believing in God, having that faith and following him, his patience, he had the patience to continue in that covenant. His faith never wavered even through that time. Many of us are very new in our own faith, in our own walk in our belief in the Lord. Maybe some of us have had a testimony of faith for 50 years, but many of us probably much shorter than that. If we are to take application of the faith of our father Abraham, we have to be long-suffering through the process of our belief. Our ears have to be tuned to hearing the voice of the Lord when he calls. And when he asks us to do something, or if you have the confirmation that God has led you to do something in your life, we must also learn to not delay in fulfilling the commandment that God has given us. Because God does consider us his friend. 
because for the sake of his covenant with Abraham, God is in covenant with us. So that's why we call him the father of our faith. That's why we look to Abraham. And as we are in the stories of Abraham, we see all of these things, all, all of the, the fruit, the seeds of our faith in how to truly believe in God and what a covenant is and how to have a relationship with God and how to have a relationship with our fellow brethren. We learn all of these things from our father Abraham. One last point I want to make is this. The gospel message, the good news that all the families of the earth shall be blessed begins with Abraham. Yeshua came fulfilling that, that through the gospel message, making disciples in all the nations, or sending his disciples out in the Great Commission, that is the goal. All of that ties all the way back to Abraham, where the reason why we're doing this is so that all the families of the earth might be blessed. That is the gospel message. Here's the part that's maybe a little bit, eh, not controversial, but might sound a little weird the first time you hear it. The work of Yeshua the Messiah was to point the people to the covenant of Abraham. He came and he said, he said, I give you a new covenant here. But we know this is a renewed covenant. This all goes back to Abraham. That it is the, the work of the Messiah and all of the work that he did. It's making disciples of the nations is to bring us into the covenant that God made with Abraham. I look at it like this. Yeshua is the pinnacle. He's the beacon for us to look and see and follow. If you find yourself in a, in a valley, lost, yet you see a mountain on the horizon, you have nowhere else to go but to look and see and follow the pinnacle, the only landmark that you can see where you, so you walk to that place, you walk to that mountain. And Yeshua is the pinnacle of that. But as you go and once you get to that mountain, it is a sacred space. We're not allowed yet to go up and be in the presence of God on the top of the mountain, just like Moses in Mount Sinai. But what we find at the base of that mountain are fellow believers. And that is where the covenant and the family of Abraham dwells. Because that covenant that was made with Abraham is the foundation of the kingdom and the base of that mountain. So what we do, one day we will be called to ascend the mountain and to be in the presence of God. In the meantime, we find ourselves with our fellow brethren, all loving one another and being blessed in the family and in the covenant of Abraham and his family with all our fellow believers at the base of the mountain. One day we will be called to the top of the mountain. And, but we found that blessing. We found that family because the pinnacle, because the light that Yeshua was, we followed that to find our brethren. That is the family of God. That is the gospel message. And that is what God created when he made covenant with Abraham that through him, his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And when we find fellow brethren, what we find is fellow sons and daughters of Abraham to dwell with. But we remember also the testimony of Yeshua and the one as the example for us to follow to get to that point. What an amazing blessing that is. Amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name for this Sabbath, for this fellowship, for the rest that you have given to us. We love you, we bless you, and thank you for having this facility to come, to dwell with one another, to worship your name. We thank you for the worship music, Father, and for anointing those to lead the congregation in your praises. 
Father, we pray now for Deb as she comes, and may her message be anointed and blessed, and may we be encouraged and strengthened on this Sabbath day in our most holy faith. We love you, we bless you, and thank you. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. My greatest fear is tripping up those steps one day. (laughs) Um, Well, what a glorious day. Amen. I, I, you know, um, when I was sitting there, a couple of things happened. And so I want to first offer a prayer because I'm sure most of you don't know this, but I have this handy dandy little uh, Apple Watch that gives me news alerts. And um, I think we need to pray about something right now before we start. In Pennsylvania, a shooter went into a synagogue today and uh, eight people have lost their lives on a peaceful Shabbat morning. So we are blessed to be here today. But we want to lift up those that have already on this Shabbat, suffered tragedy and suffered loss. And uh, so we're going to do that right now. Father God, we just come to you right now, and we just ask for your mercy and your grace and your loving kindness to be upon that synagogue and your people there, Father. For those families that have lost loved ones today, for this horrible tragedy, that even as we prayed this morning for you to heal our nation and to heal the hatred, and to heal the anger, Father, we ask again, Father, for hearts to be healed all across this land, for hatred to be replaced by love. Father, I just ask right now for each and every member of that family and that congregation that are are suffering uh, from the greatest trauma that anybody could probably go through, Father, that you be with them. Fill their homes with your love and peace. Fill their hearts with your presence. And Father, as we ask here today, speak to us from on high. Let your message that comes forth today be one directly from your throne room. We ask that you We cast aside any kind of agenda, any kind of vain imaginations, and we just ask, Lord God, that your presence be here today, as it is in Pennsylvania. Be here today in Norman, Oklahoma, and speak to our hearts, Lord God. Change us. Let us not leave here today the same way we walked in. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hate to start off a message on that kind of a horrible note, but it is our um, duty to pray for those who mourn, and we would want them praying for us in, a, in the face of tragedy. So the, the title to the message today is, When Love is a Test. And the subtitle is, Can I Have a Written Exam? <laughs> You know, I don't. I, all of us have been to school, we've been to high school, or we've been to college, you know, and don't you always hate test day? 
But the thing with tests when you're in school is you usually know when they're coming. Right? You know that, okay, final test, end of the semester, you know, written exam, all of these things, you know you have forewarning. But God never gives us forewarning. His tests are always spontaneous. And we find ourselves in the middle of them before we even know what's going on. Is anybody experiencing a test right now? Raise your hands. Come on, be honest. Okay. Well, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, that was a test. (laughs) Every single day, every single thing we do, and we don't realize it often, is a test. You were probably tested this morning before you got here. Did your wife do something to annoy you? Did your husband do something to annoy you? Were your kids slow getting ready? It was a test. How were you going to handle it? Maybe when you walked in the door, someone gave you a look. It's a test. How are you going to respond to it? I used to play, uh, back in the day, I used to play tennis. And the thing about tennis is, you're always waiting. You're ready to be served that ball and to volley it back constantly. Well, that's kind of what life is like. We should always be ready because we don't know the hour or the day or the time that we're going to be tested. I'm sure those people in Pennsylvania went to the synagogue this morning thinking it was going to be just like any other Shabbat. But most of us that have lived on this earth for any length of time know that things can change in a nanosecond. So we have to be ready to respond. Now, when love is a test, it's kind of a trick title because love is always a test. Love is always the test. Do we love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole being? Can love be the motivating factor in our lives instead of our own flesh, instead of our selfishness, instead of, well, you didn't do it my way, so now I'm angry? It's a test. How different would we pass the tests if we knew every single day from every single moment that everything is a test. And God is counting on you to pass that test. Now, there's a couple of questions that might come up with that. I want to make sure I do this the right way. Aha. Okay. God always will give you a surprise test, a surprise exam. Why did the Lord test Abraham? He knew Abraham's heart. He knew that he loved him. He called him his friend. He knew that he walked with him. Why did Abraham have to be tested? Why do we have to be tested? God knows our hearts, right? 
I don't know about you, but here's the way I'm often tested. Is God is asking me a question. And the question, oftentimes, I don't have the answer to. And the question is, how am I going to respond to this situation? See, he may know, but I don't. So the point is, we need to know what's in our own hearts. And that only comes about through testing. I don't know about you, but I have been tested before, and I didn't like how I responded to the test. And I'm like, ooh, where did that come from? Because there was something in my heart that was needed to be revealed. And that's something that each of us, I think, faces in one way or another. Okay, let's see. A test, and this is what a test is. A test is any situation that demands more from you than you think you have. In a test, if you would use your rational mind, you would say, this is impossible. This is not what I signed up for, Lord. This is not supposed to happen this way. I don't know about you, but I can be a whiner with God sometimes. And Why is this happening to me? Right? I serve you, Lord. I'm trying to do the best I can. Why did you let this happen to me? Come on. We've all been those whiners. Don't sit there looking all pious at me, because I've heard some of you whine before. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) When we say this is not what we signed up for, we think sometimes this isn't my skill set, this isn't what I need to do, this is above my pay grade, why do I have to go through this? It's not fair. I look at people sometimes and it's like, wow, their life is like yogurt in a blender, it seems like. Everything's nice and smooth. Mine is like you take a pile of rocks and throw into the blender, and you hear it going. (laughs) And you're like, what in the world is going on in my life? We're being tested. I got tested the last couple of weeks. I had this great trip to California planned, which I did go. I went to the left coast for a little while, visited family and friends, and it was awesome. It was amazing. The day I left, I get a letter from the IRS, the Internal Revenue of Satan. And... We're going to audit you for 2016 and 2017. And you have two weeks to respond to this audit or you're going to owe us $32,000. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right now? 
I'd been working on this, you know, women's ministry, trying to set up this conference, trying to go to California. We're getting ready to move. And then you get a letter from the IRS. I had to laugh. You know, I, I've got everything I need. Nothing wrong. I've been audited before, by the way. And I don't know why. They just like my name or something. I don't know. So it wasn't a, you know, that big a deal. It was an aggravation. But I, it was still a test. How are you going to respond to this? Are you going to panic? Are you going to be fearful? Anybody ever have a test like that? And it just comes like from out of nowhere. And it's designed to throw you off balance, to throw you off center. But is it going to? Or do you persevere? Do you keep going? See, the thing with tests are, yes, God knows everything. He knows everything you're thinking. He knows where your heart is. He knows everything about you. But do you know? And that's the difference. Most of the time, we don't know. We don't understand ourselves. We often don't know where our heart is. Because when you are on top of the mountain, it is easy to raise your hands, bless God, hallelujah, glory to God. But when a test comes, what's your response? Are you still worshiping in spirit and in truth? Are you still worshiping with all your heart and soul? Or are you focused on the problem rather than keeping your focus on him. See, if Abraham had filled the test that Ephraim was talking about, if he had not binded his son, Isaac, and binding in Hebrew also means stripes, because when you bind someone, it causes them to have stripes on their arms or their legs, or wherever you bind them. Now, why is that important? Because Abraham had no idea. He's walking three miles, I mean three miles, three days, however many miles that would be. It'd probably take me three days to walk three miles, but not him. But anyway. (laughs) But he's walking three days. Three days determined to fulfill the thing God asked him to do, knowing full well that God had promised him that his offspring would outnumber the stars, would outnumber the sands on the seashore. And now he's asking him to kill the fruit of his womb. What? What? He had no idea that thousands of years later, a prophecy would be in Isaiah that by the Messiah's stripes, by his binding, we are healed. He actually was living a foreshadow of what God wanted to do in the future. Did you know that our lives can be a foreshadow of what he 
wants to do in the future? Are we going to pass the test? Do we love God enough not to question him, but to do? Man, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. It's not always easy. People get taken out of your life, sometimes permanently, through death, divorce, all kinds of reasons. And there's a test that we have to pass. I want to go, go into this test just a, a wee bit. Nisa is the Hebrew word for test. Ness is the Hebrew word for miracle. They are very close together and come from the same root. You don't pass a test, and I'm going to say this a couple of times, you don't pass a test with understanding and reason because sometimes they, there absolutely appears to be no reason for the test you're going through. You pass a test with rock-solid faith and blind perseverance. I mean, I'm going to say that again. You pass a test with rock-solid faith and blind perseverance. Tests are closely related to miracles. You can't get a miracle unless there's a test. You will never receive a miracle without a test. And God wants us to experience, the Father desires for us to experience real miracles in our lives. Why does test come in the, you know, from the same root word as miracle? Because a test, again, I'm going to say, is always an opportunity for a miracle. But a, a test will require something from us. And what it, does it require? Well, let me give you the recipe for a miracle. A miracle, in Hebrew, the word, is actually made up of two letters, nun and samak. The letter nun, according to the Talmud, represents downfall and suffering. The letter Samak represents uplifting, salvation, and redemption. Unless you are downfallen and suffering, you will never experience the true salvation, the true miracle of God in your lives. We hate it. Or let me rephrase that. I hate it. I don't know, unless you're a masochist, and then you probably need to set an appointment with me for a later time as your therapist. You don't enjoy suffering. None of us do. But in it comes our salvation. In it comes our redemption. In it we change. 
Did you know that testing changes you forever when you pass the test? It breaks you free of the norm. It gives you the sense of, oh my gosh, I didn't see this coming, but he is there. And he's moving me forward. You know, it's kind of like a sailboat. You know, as you, you see the wind in the sails, but you don't see the wind. And you see the boat moving and taking you somewhere. That's what God does with us during a test. He's the wind in our sails. He moves us forward. He keeps us going forward. When we can't do it on our own. And in that we experience him. And in that we know he is with us. His promise, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Especially in your suffering. Especially when you've fallen down. See, we need to be like him. We need to understand that people fall and people falter. They don't need our condemnation. They don't need our judgment. They need for us to lift them up, to persevere with them, to pray for them, to understand them, and to love them with his love. I think tests oftentimes show us they're a barometer for how much love of his that we carry in our hearts. It's like a flag that waves over us when we fail a test that tells us we need to tap more into the source of his love. I want to read something to you that uh, I got on the airplane. Okay, and it has to be from God because I was at 30,000 feet. Joke, JK, JK, as they say. Um, And here's what I wrote. And I just, you know, started writing all this before I even realized, you know, this was going to be part of the message. Tests are an opportunity to see what it is that we are really made of. It is our opportunity to discover our resolve and strength and even our love for God. Where the rubber meets the road is when we are in a great trial or test. What are we seeking? The love of God is our absolute strength. Love Love never fails. And I wanted to um, read that from the, um, let's see here, where is it at? Probably in my Bible program. From 1 Corinthians, which is the love chapter, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
when we tap into that kind of love, we tap into the very power of God. It never fails. So when we fail a test, don't live in condemnation. Just realize we need to tap more into that great, deep reservoir of God's love, which is never-ending, never-failing, hoping all things, believing all things, and yes, even enduring all things. It can't fail us. It gives us, takes us from the realm of the natural into the supernatural, which is where he wants to be with us. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and I might get condemned. I sometimes forget I'm in a messianic congregation. Um, I'm always, I am messianic. Sort of, some kind of. But I had a former life as a charismatic Christian. You probably would have never guessed that, right? Okay, so this happened. This literally happened. So don't judge me. Um, Ephraim is the complaint department, I believe. You can go see him. But one day, this is when I was married. My husband was working on the pool, and he asked, swimming pool, and he asked me, hey, would you go to the pool supply store and buy this, this, and this? And I'm like, sure, why not? Okay. So I'm happily driving to the pool supply, and all of a sudden, this, whole, this burden came upon me to begin to pray. Well, being the good, charismatic person I was, I started praying in tongues, because I didn't know what he wanted me to pray for. So all the way there, I'm praying in tongues, you know, and this is for another date. If you don't agree with that, we'll talk about that doctrine later. But I'm praying all the way there, all the way back. And when I get there, I said, man, I, I told him my experience, you know, and he goes, wait a minute, I got to tell you something first. He said, this most amazing thing happened. I was standing there working on the pump, and I put these two wires together, I was trying to twist them, and I didn't realize I was standing in a puddle of water. And he said, in electricity, I could feel it, but it was jumping all around me like lightning. But he said, but I didn't get electrocuted. I didn't know what I was praying for. Of course, I told him he owed me his life now, but other than that, I had no idea what I was praying for. But I was just being obedient to that unction to pray. We never know what God is going to use us for, but obedience is key, a key factor in everything we do. And so when Ephraim was up here talking about delayed obedience is not obedience. I'm like, yeah. What if I hadn't have prayed? I would have probably went home to a corpse. What if I hadn't been obedient to that? What happens when we're not obedient to the unction of God? We never think about that it could be someone's life that hangs in the balance. 
It could be something that's above and beyond anything that we have an understanding of. A miracle. Let me tell you what a miracle is. It's going to help us to understand. A miracle is when God breaks out of his standard pattern of natural law. Okay? A miracle happened when Sarah got pregnant. A miracle happened when Mary conceived a child. God broke out of his standard of natural law and demonstrated unlimited powers on behalf of someone. A test is when God invites you to do the same thing. People that pass tests do miracles. They're not doing it in their own power. But God is sharing with them the supernatural ability that he desires for us to see and comprehend and know him. To know him as the miracle-producing God, the one who has the power to sustain you, the one who has the power to change your life. Most anybody that's a parent understands the miracle power of God because we witnessed a birth. We witnessed the miracle of a child being born. The only thing we didn't understand, or at least I didn't, maybe some of you guys are smarter than me, is I thought everything kind of ended on that realm after they turned 18. Now that I have adult children and adult grandchildren, I can tell you it never ends. You're going to be praying the rest of your life for that child and believing all things and hoping all things and enduring all things because of the deep love you have for them. See, your well never runs dry for your children. But our well should never run dry for the things of God. We should believe for our brothers and sisters as much as we believe for our child. We should be enduring as much for one another as we do for our own children because this is the love of God. This is how we're perfected in him. We are supposed to be changing from glory to glory to glory and we can't change if we are stuck doing the same things over and over and over again. Because guess what? If you fail the test, you're going to do it again. And again. And again. And again. Let's say anger is your issue. That you have problems, you know. And you get angry. Guess what? God will keep sending people into your life that are going to tick you off. Now, if you want to see that stream of people that tick you off end, pass the test. Respond correctly. Grow spiritually. Don't sweat the small stuff. I have this thing that I tell people that if it's not going to matter five years from now, 
Cool your jets. Don't sweat it. Well, what, what can affect you five years from now? Maybe a debilitating disease, some kind of horrible, you know. Then you can, you know, get concerned if you want to. Go to God in prayer, though. Don't get on, uh, on Satan's side, or Hasatan, however you want to say it. Here's what happens. God himself said, Yeshua said, that if that two or more witnesses, every fact is established. Right? And if two or more ask anything in my name, I'll do it for them. So my question is, who are we going to agree with? Because guess what? Hasatan needs two people before he can change anything in somebody's life. He breaks the Torah all the time, but he still has to go by God's rules. So what he tries to do is get us to agree with him. Oh, isn't this terrible what's happening to me? And he's like, cha-ching! Then he has the power to let it overtake you. But if you raise your hands and you call out to the king on high and say, God, I know that you're in charge of my life. I know you're in charge of this situation. I know you're in charge of the circumstances. And I have nothing to fear because you are greater than any situation. You are greater than any circumstance. You are greater than anything that I am facing today. I want to give you an example. And I'm going to read to you from 2 Kings 4, 19 and 22. Because it's where we should be. And this is uh, the Shunammite maiden. A young boy got very, fell ill, which was her son. He was the son of promise that Elisha the prophet told her would be born. And he got very ill. And so in the field, a servant said, carry him to his mother. And so when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat, her, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's not a new moon, it's nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Now mind you, the son of promise was laying on the prophet's bed dead. Her child, her husband's child but she did not come into agreement with the natural. What she was doing was seeking the supernatural. She was believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. And she said, it is well. I thought it was so interesting when that song this morning, it is well with my soul. Of course, you know, I was thinking they did that just for me because of what I would, you know, have been um, going to present this morning. 
Then so it was when the man of God saw her from afar off. He said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run out to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Because he was, you know, pretty amazed to see her. And it goes on to say, and she answered, she answered Gehazi, it is well. How do you do that? But this is where we need to be. No matter what the trial, no matter what the situation, it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well because I know the God who gave me the strength, the hope, the endurance, and more importantly, the love. See, I can tap into that. And when I tap into that kind of love, when I tap into knowing that he is above all things, and that he has my life in the palm of his hands, and that he has never left me, nor forsaken me? Does it always turn out the way we think it's going to? No. And that is the test. When I was in Uganda, um, this was several years ago, I met a pastor there who told me that no one in his congregation is allowed to be buried if they die until they bring that person there and they have an opportunity to pray for them. I met several people there that had been resurrected from the dead. I met a young boy whose parents I met too that um, had died and rigor mortis had set in because by the time he could get him there, he lived way out in the, in the outback, Thule villages, the time, by the time he got him there, rigor mortis had set in. They had to work, God brought him back to life. And they had to work at his, you know, muscles and, you know, they had to do like physical therapy and everything because they had stiffened so badly for, for days they had to work with him. And I thought, I thought this is what the Lord must have thought when he heard the centurion, all you have to do is go and ask you know, and it'll be done for you. You have that kind of authority. You don't need to go to my house. You can just command it to be, and it'll be. And, and Yeshua said, no great, greater faith have I seen in all of Israel. So I'm in Uganda, and I'm thinking, no greater faith have I ever seen in America. Right? So I asked him, I said, well, does everybody get resurrected? And he said, oh, no. He goes, Oh, no, not everybody gets resurrected. He said, but that's the Lord's business. My business is to pray. And I'm like, wow. Wow. That is blind perseverance. 
See, we don't have an atmosphere, and I talked about atmospheres in here one time before in America for miracles. That's why you see them happening in all these other countries, but not here. Because the atmosphere we've created is more conducive to doubt and unbelief. Because we in America are far too sophisticated and have far too much scientific understanding. And we know that to resurrect someone from the dead, especially after rigor mortis has set in, was absolutely impossible. Right? God can't move in that. Even if he wants to. Because he couldn't even move in the towns and villages that he grew up in because of their doubt and their unbelief. But are we like the Shulamite maiden? It's a question that only we can ask, answer ourselves. Only we can search deep into the depths of our heart. Here's what else I wrote on this flight 30,000 feet up in the air. When we tap into the love of God, we tap into a reservoir of strength and power that is supernaturally, supernatural. It will uphold us, enrich us, and secure our soul. It becomes the anchor in the storm that keeps us from drifting too far and crashing into the rocks of destruction. Could it be that tests really are to prove our depth of love for God? Are we willing to have faith when faith seems impossible? Are we willing to endure when we think we can't endure anymore? Are we willing to hope when hope seems unreasonable? How deep or shallow is our love? Tests will show that to us. Tests will prove that to us. What are we willing to hope for? What are we willing to trust God for? When we speak doubt and complain, (laughs) is it possible that it's a warning sign from God that we need to spend more time with him? discover the depth of his love and his caring for us to have that kind of faith. I want to close with this. Dear Father, help us to recognize that the word within us is not because, or the void, I'm sorry, the void within us is not because of the depth of your caring or the depth of love you have for us. It's the depth of the love we have for you. Dear Lord, how do we fill this great vast reservoir of space in our soul? Will we take the time, Lord God, to look inward instead of looking outward? Not look at our situation or our circumstance. We need your spirit to fill us We need your garment to fill the temple of our souls. Once again, as when your robe filled the temple, 
and your glory filled it before. Father, we ask that of you this day. Help us, Lord, to pass the test. Help us to recognize our need and the depth of our love for you. In Yeshua's name, amen. We could all rise, please. <clears throat> and the Lord had spoken to Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Yivorechecha Adonai Vaishmarecha Yaheh Panavilecha Vichunecha Yisarunai Panavilecha Vayasihim Lecha Lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Dreams are small.